the end of the day, it was profitable. You've got to kind of think ahead, I think. And with this particular situation, as I mentioned, I knew the seller was not going to get involved with this. I actually was the one who ended up calling and talking to the insurance company and how to connect the two together. Again, because she didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have a home phone because of the situation that she was in. But if you want to deal bad enough, you've got to chase it. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. That's right. You're listening to it. Longest running in the world. We cut out all that fluff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. And we have a returning guest with us today. And he's going to tell us a story about a challenging situation he was in. And because it's the weekend, today is Saturday, if you're listening to it the day this episode came out, we do a special segment called Situation Saturday, which is just what I described. Our guest is going to tell us a challenging situation, how they overcame it, so that when we come across a situation like this, we'll know how to handle it or we'll know how not to handle it, depending on which direction this story goes. First off, I want to introduce our guest. How are you doing, Aaron Marshall? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well and really looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Aaron, and then he'll get into it a little bit more in detail. He is the CEO at Key Renter Franchise, which is a business model for residential property management. He talked about franchising property management companies on our initial conversation, which is episode 639, titled How You Could Own a Property Management Franchise. We're not going to get into that because we already talked about it. So if you're interested in franchising and property management, then go listen to that episode number 639. When I spoke to him before, which was, let's see, about two months ago or so, he had 11 franchises and now he's got 15 franchises and plans to open up more by the end of 2016. He has the key renter residential property management franchises in all states except North Dakota, South Dakota, Hawaii, and Rhode Island. He's an owner and broker at the Marshall Real Estate and he's based in Salt Lake City, Utah. You can say hi to him at keyrenter.com. And with that being said, Aaron, you want to give us a little bit more about your background and just roll right into this challenging situation that you're in. I think you covered it for me. A really good job uh, as far as the intro of my background, but I've been in real estate for going on uh, 16 years now. 
I love it. I uh, wouldn't do anything else. There's a million and one ways to make a dollar in real estate. You just got to figure it out. The economy is good or bad. You can still make money. I tend to make more money for some reason when the market's not so great. But at the end of the day, there's a million ways you can buy properties. I've probably done about 12, 15 of those ways. And we'll talk about one of the properties that I purchased. As yourself or many of the guests that you have on the show, they talk about either flipping or buying and holding. This particular property, I ended up doing a flip. I have uh, quite a few different websites that's out there. Most of them are unbranded but have my information on it since I do have to disclose that I'm a real estate agent in the state of Utah and so forth. One of those is just a We Buy Homes site, We Buy Homes Utah. Don't do any marketing with it, but I got the domain, must have been about 13, 14 years ago, and I've kept it ever since. And I've got a few others out there. Like I said, I don't do a whole lot of marketing with it. I got this lead. I'm in the Salt Lake market. This particular lead came to me from the UN Basin area, like Roosevelt, Vernal area, which is, I'd say, three-hour drive from where I'm at. Uh, i got to go up to Park City and uh, kind of take a long uh, road out to Roosevelt. And this lead came in, and I was like, ah, two and a half, three hours away. I'm not sure if I'm going to do this. And uh, she kept bugging me. I figured, okay, she kept bugging me. This is a motivated seller. I like that. Let me listen to her and see what she has to offer. She's in Salt Lake. The house is in Roosevelt. All right. Another motivated trigger went off in my head. And so I went and met with her and, and talked to her a little bit, gained her trust there. Found out she needed to sell it for some family reasons and so forth really quick. And so I came in and put an offer in on it. It took us a little bit to close it just because of the situation. So I was trying to do like a two-week close. We ended up closing like four months later. What was the offer and what was she wanting? The offer was 120 She was wanting more. I bought it for 120 I could realistically sell it for about 178 minus some closing costs. And so uh, it gets to closing. Here it is in the middle of winter for us. Out there in the Uinta Basin, it's well below zero or zero. And so I just had this hunch. I'm like, I'm supposed to be closing today. Closing with her, correct? Not the end buyer you sold it to? Yeah, closing with her because I was going to do a few repairs. So I hired this guy to go out there and just take a look at it. I paid him like 100 bucks, And I go a lot off my gut just feeling with business. I can't describe it, can't train it. It's just there. And so he goes out there and he's like, Aaron, we got a problem. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, uh, what's the problem? We got water buckling in the kitchen area and going into the crawl space. I'm like, are you kidding? And so for me, I just, this is going to be my house. So I immediately got the situation going to where, okay, we'll get the water turned off. Where is it? Let's locate it. And then let's get it dried out. With most insurance companies out there, if you file a claim, they're okay with having someone do the cleanup as far as getting it to where it's dried out. They don't want you to do the repairs. They've got to have their claim adjuster come out, and they've got to come out and assess the situation. And so I knew that from working on prior deals and working in bank deals before. So I was like, all right, let's get the water shut off, and let's see what we can do to get it dried out. And And and, You haven't closed on it yet, so why are you doing this? Wouldn't she be doing it? She should. We were supposed to close about three and a half months ago. And I knew because of the situation that she wasn't going to do anything. If I want this deal, there's money on the table. If I want this deal, I've got to make it happen. And so I made it happen. I got my contractor to dry it out. It ended up being with the temperature being so cold, the water for the kitchen is on an outside wall. 
and that got so cold and froze and burst the pipe right below the sink. She turned off the heat, and so there's really nothing that she could have done or I could have done besides turn the heat on and had it at 50 degrees. It's normally what we do, but she wasn't able to pay the heat bills and so forth. So I went in and, like I said, resolved the issue with the water, got it dried out. I I had fans in there and, and so forth. It took about two days. The initial contractor that I had go out didn't have the means to do it, so I had to call a few contractors and a few favors. It's not like calling the same contractors. When you go outside of your metro area, if I'm calling somebody from Salt Lake, they don't want to drive two and a half, three hours. So I had to call people in that area, and they were busy doing other things. So I had to call in a friend of a friend to do a favor, and they ended up doing that. So go back to the closing. For me, I'm not going to close, and I don't recommend if there's an issue. In most real estate purchase contracts, there's a clause in there that you can do an inspection lease in the Utah real estate repsy. Most of the time, those inspections are done anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. Well, mine was done the same day. I didn't close. Per the contract, we were supposed to close, but the property's not in the same condition as what it was when I wrote the offer. And so we had to get back to the drawing table and renegotiate. And so we waited a little bit, had her claims adjuster come out and assess the situation. I was already going to replace the flooring, and I was already going to replace the carpet in the area, and so it actually ended up in my favor, and so she ended up getting about $22,000. I ended up buying it minus that, just let her keep the check, closed it for that price, and from there did my repairs. It helped me to be able to go out and do the inspection After the claim adjuster went in and did what he needed to do to assess the situation, she had to agree to the payout because that she's the one with the insurance. She had to be the one to file the claim. And that took a little bit for her to do just because of the situation that she was in. She didn't have a telephone that she could communicate with the insurance adjuster. So I had to do a lot of the heavy lifting. But at the end of the day, it paid out for me 45 grand after everything was said and done. And so for me, if you want to get the deal done, you do what it takes. Even if it does take getting contractors out there, no, it's not my property. Yes, I'm doing repairs or I'm doing improvements on the property, which I'm not legally able to. But I knew the situation. I knew I would get paid because of the situation and just went ahead and did it. If I didn't, the issue would have been even worse. We had to dry out the crawl space. There's about two feet of water down there. We had to dry that out, quickly pump it out so it didn't put mold and stuff in the floorboards and and all of that. But it was big to do with that. But that was a pretty sweet thing. At the end of the day, I didn't even spend $20,000 on the repairs, but I was able to get that off the sales price. Your offer was $120,000. You ended up buying it for $100,000 then? $98,000. $98,000. Okay. Let's talk about doing repairs on a property that's not yours. Did you look at the liability afterwards of what could have happened? Um, I didn't. I've sold thousands of bank-owned properties, and so I've been through the trenches on both sides. I know of 
hundreds of people that have done it. I had buyers do it on my properties that I had listed. I know the legal ramifications there. And one of those, the seller doesn't have to close because you changed it without their written permission. If you do do changes on a property like that, you normally do need to have written permission. If somebody gets hurt on the property and it's not yours, there's some legal issues there. So I knew the legal issues there, but I chose to go ahead with that because to her, she'd already checked out with the house. She was done and over with it. This is a pain in the butt for her. She just needed it sold. So mentally she checked out. I needed to act as the owner if I wanted to continue to go through the process and purchase the home. Would you recommend this to other people? In this situation, yes. If you're dealing with a bank-owned property, a short sell, a normal seller that is living at the property or comes and checks on the property, no. Because it can piss some people off, especially the bank or the seller if they come back. I've seen it happen to where a buyer, this was an investor, came in, rehabbed the house, started rehabbing it, gutted the kitchen, bathrooms, rehab. The rehab was almost done at closing. It spent about $30,000, $35,000. The bank ended up not closing it with that particular investor because of what they did. Sold it for the same price to a different investor. <laughs> and then they can legally do that. Yeah. The investor it's, can't it's, come back. And... It's the investor's fault. They didn't own the property. Exactly. I don't feel bad for that investor at all. Why would anyone do that? I knew of this investor. He did it to cut time frames. So once he closed on it, essentially eliminate that whole time of him with the hard money or his own money. He wanted to be able to close on it, finish the repairs, which would take three, four, five days maybe, and then list it within a week and then get it under contract again and get it sold. Just eliminate his holding time frame. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it ended up costing him 35 grand. Yeah. The one month holding time frame extra now looking back on it, it's not that big of a deal, I, I imagine. Situations like that, no. If people want to take the risk there of losing it, for me, I didn't do any repairs until it was mine. The thing I did do was dry it out. I knew insurance companies didn't care on who the vendor is. They reimbursed that within about a week, two weeks, the insurance companies do. And so I knew that part of it was okay. But the repair side, I did not complete my repairs and, and do the rehab until it was mine. Okay. Well, Aaron, is there anything else you want to mention about this deal that we haven't talked about? I don't think so. At the end of the day, it was profitable. You've got to kind of think ahead, I think. And with this particular situation, as I mentioned, I knew the seller was not going to get involved with this. I actually was the one who ended up calling and talking to the insurance company and how to connect the two together. Again, because she didn't have a cell phone. She didn't have a home phone because of the situation that she was in. But if you want a deal bad enough, you've got to chase it. Mm -hmm. Well, Aaron, what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? I think via email, Aaron at keyrenter.com. Send me an email. Be more than happy to share more and as well as connect with some of the listeners. Thanks again for being on the show. This was a story of, as you said, if you want the deal bad enough, you have to chase it and make a conscious decision on what type of liability you want to expose yourself to. Because even though you're still drying it out or only drying it out, if you're on someone else's property doing some work or even contracting people, I suspect 
that could come back at you if they burn down the place or whatever. Yep. So it was a conscious decision and you made it and it worked out well. You sold it for 178. You bought it for 98. How much money did you put into it in total? I put just under 20. So with the realtor fees and paying closing costs for the buyers and so forth, at the end of the day, I believe it was right around 45-ish that I walked home with. Over a period of about five Uh, months? If you add like when I dried it, yes, five months. But if you sped that forward from when I actually closed, it was two months. Okay. We're going to include all the months because you were actively engaged, it sounds like, from the very beginning. That's still a good spread on a property. That's for sure. So thank you for sharing that story of if you want it bad enough, then you got to go get it done and go in with eyes wide open on what the risks are. And with real estate, there's a risk in everything. And if someone tells you it's not a risky proposition, then run the other way because there's always a risk no matter what type of real estate investing we're doing. Thanks again, Aaron. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.